WBNE. Hello from elsewhere. I'm Casey. <laughs> and I'm Valerie. And welcome to the podcast where we explore characters, themes, and symbolism in pop culture. This episode comes to you straight from a greeting card company in Los Angeles. Because today we're discussing 500 Days of Summer and the ways in which it is a reaction to the manic pixie dream girl trope. So I know we've talked about our house being haunted in the past. I don't really have any new haunted house anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's only but, haunted during the winter. But maybe. But our, Seasonal haunting. Our kids are scary right now because, <laughs> because they've learned about the fight or flight response, right? And and so they just keep jumping out of corners and saying, ha! <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> did I true. invoke your fight or flight response? Is always the question. And I don't know if we have to like have a a mirror hold a mirror around corners or what because Mm. it keeps happening yes chamber of secrets style (laughs) exactly have our mirror ready so i don't know i don't know if your fight or flight flight response has been they have yet to startle me they're not very sneaky (laughs) no they're not (laughs) they're like loud feet and and you can just tell they're coming they're breathing they're giggling as they're trying to sneak up on you probably scare each other though yes i've seen yes our son Get our daughter once really well. Yeah. <laughs> she was really, really scared. Well, jumped at least pretty high. Okay. I have an all-important question. Let's hear it. Because today we're talking about 500 Days of Summer. Casey, so I love this movie. I love this movie too, and I'm so excited to talk about it with you. But we asked some of our sprinkle wizards of elsewhere, and uh, I'm combining I'm combining a an all-important question from Krista and Sarah, you know, with summer in mind as a season. In what fictional location and with what fictional character would you want to spend a summer? Do you have your answer? You can go first. No, I realize that I haven't... Uh, <laughs> you haven't thought about it? Decided. Here's mine. And it's the first one that came to mind. Okay. So it's the most boring thing of all time, guys. Like, legitimately. <laughs> both, both location and character are boring? I mean... Personally, I think it sounds fantastic, but really, (laughs) (laughs) I just want to hang out with Molly Weasley all summer and we can just knit sweaters together. That's it. That's all I want. No children interrupt us though. So I guess we need to be not at the burrow. Just Molly Weasley and I chatting, knitting sweaters. You need to go somewhere in another, another fictional, like non- Yeah. So Molly Weasley and I need to go- to Avonlea. We'll hang out in like Anne of Green Gables house. But if you're there, you're just going to be wishing that Anne, that Anne Shirley was there. No, Anne's too much work for my <laughs> relaxing summer away from children. Marilla Cuthbert. Yeah. <laughs> Marilla Cuthbert, Molly Weasley and I will hang out at, Ga- <laughs> at Green Gables and we will knit all summer and, and, and can preserves. And yeah. guys, I'm like a... F- 90 year old woman apparently because this is my dream summer yeah yep that's it it's fantastic <laughs> i feel like my answers are always very samey like my mind immediately goes to chidi or ben solo so i'm trying to think of one that's not them and it's really hard so who, who you tell me val who would i who would i enjoy being with it's a weirdly worded question <laughs> <laughs> as your wife who do i want you spending a summer with away in a different location mm-hmm. hmm. uh <laughs> Okay, so then a robot of some kind. 
or creature. You can hang out with Appa. I've been watching Avatar. You and Appa could go flying around for the summer. Okay, I'm going to be with Appa in Middle Earth. So I'm going to just... Ooh, you and Appa flying around fly Middle Earth. fly around Middle Earth and, and check it all out. Spend a lot of time in the Shire probably and, yeah. and the Elvish places. I don't know if we'll get very east, you know, <laughs> over those mountains, but um, okay, I like it. There you go. Thanks for that. I mm-hmm. wasn't sure. <laughs> I needed some help. <laughs> so, Casey, since we're talking about 500 days of summer, yeah, we need to define what a manic pixie dream girl is. Yes. If you've spent any time in any sort of cinematic discussion, you've probably cr- come across that term, but um, we want to define it, and we're going to use a different movie to define it. I know you have a definition ready for us. What is it? So, the first use of this was in AV Club in 2007 by... Um, a critic named Nathan Rabin. Rabin. It's not like this was the first um, instance of this type of character. It was just the first time this phrase was used, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And it was in a review for Elizabethtown. He describes the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Can we just from now on call it the Dream Girl? Like, do we have to say Manic Pixie every time? No, that's really long. Okay. Dream so, Girl is fine. In this episode, as we say Dream Girl, just... Insert the other two. Yep. In, insert Manic Pixie. Okay. He calls it that bubbly, shallow, cinematic creature that exists solely in the fevered imaginations of sensitive writer-directors to teach broodingly soulful young men to embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. And then in another article about the term, when he actually apologized for the term, and we'll get to that later, but um, he further defined, he said it's an archetype, I realized, that taps into into a particular male fantasy of being saved from depression and ennui by a fantasy woman who sweeps in like a glittery breeze to save you from yourself, then disappears once her work is done. So between those two, we kind of have the the inkling of an idea of what this is, right? Right. And we're going to jump into Elizabethtown. Yes. And talk about how the character Claire is 100% an example of a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, this is a good way for us to define it before we get to 500 Days of Summer to talk about how that movie kind of breaks down the trope. Um, we'll try to describe Elizabeth Town in a way that if you haven't seen it, it's okay. I mean, it's a movie. I like watching movies, so it's not like I'm it's not like I'm going to say don't watch it, but if you haven't seen no, it. No, and you and I both like Elizabeth Town. I do like it. Yeah. I liked it less this time. <laughs> I feel like I think you can enjoy a movie and still recognize issues with yes, the movie. Absolutely. And be yeah. like, well, it's a fun movie, but also there's a lot of issues with Claire's character. Yeah. Mostly just that she's not real. Yeah, and uh, I, I felt like this time it was like two different movies, especially like there was the movie of him and her and the movie of him dealing with the stuff with his dad. And they felt really separate through most of the movie and they didn't really ever quite weave in a way that I wanted them to. I don't know. We're not here to critique the movie, but just let's uh, let's dive into focus on Claire and and Drew. So as we said in that definition, the, the dream girl is often there to pull the man out of his brooding, his depression. And Drew, played by Orlando Bloom, starts off the movie in this deep depression he's even suicidal so drew is at a the lowest point in his life he's lost you could round it up to a A billion billion (laughs) dollars for a a shoe company he's made this he's had this massive failure which somehow is all on his shoulders i don't know why the movie thinks it's all his fault when it's like teams of people that made the shoe but right he was the creator but yeah there should have been some checks and balances in place there if it wasn't going to go well yeah they should have um had a didn't, don't they do like uh, groups? What do they call the groups where like you a focus group? A focus group yeah. where you like ask people's opinions. Right. A really big company like, like hey, this, this shoe looks like a stingray. No one's gonna buy it. <laughs> yeah. 
It's so wide, your shoes are going to hit together as you walk. <laughs> it's a pretty ugly looking shoe, for sure. <laughs> I want to know who got to draw it. Who, who in the props department was like, mm. ooh, I get to create the ugliest shoe ever? Right. Great, I'm on it. So he's, he's depressed from this big failure, and then he gets news that his dad has died. And his family needs him to go to Kentucky, where his dad was visiting his side of the family, um, and bring his body back to, to the West Coast. So he's supposed to go to Elizabethtown, which is somewhat near Louisville. And so his, his, uh, he has to sort of put his feelings about the failure on the back burner while he deals with his family stuff and deals with his dad's death. Yes, and, and nobody knows yet. About his failure? About his failure. Yeah. He's got like a week till the news article lands and everybody's going to know. But then on the flame plight, flame plight? Yep, keep yep, that one the in. The flame plight. <laughs> I don't know what that means. The plight of flames. <laughs> Those flames have so many plights. You say to what deal happens with. next. I can't talk right now. So on his plane flight, he meets Claire, the stewardess, who is just the most bubbly person. She's bubbly. So just bubbly. Like it's described in the in that definition. Yes. And she comes in like a what is it? A glittery breeze, like out of nowhere, kind of a thing. And she gets. She's funny. Her character is like annoying. Like you can definitely tell Drew is annoyed by her at first. He just wants to be left alone in his peace and quiet. But she's the kind of, you know, bubbly who supposedly gets under your skin and then you find her lovable kind of a feeling. And seems to have like endless wisdom and, and energy. a sense of adventure and energy. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm an adult. I don't have that much energy. <laughs> My two-year-old has that much energy. I do not. <laughs> she's also full of unsolicited advice. Like you mm. said, like the wisdom kind of, but she's like one of the lines is, she says is, we are intrepid, we carry on. And so she's kind of giving him advice and she doesn't even know anything about his dad at that point or, um, you know, his failure or anything. So she's just this random, like, I don't know, almost like a life coach just appearing out of nowhere to talk to Drew. Right, like she assumes that he can't, find his way around Kentucky and then immediately like makes him a little map and tells him which way to a go. A whimsical map. Whimsical? Yeah. It's got like little trees off to the side. You don't need trees drawn on a map. I don't remember that, but yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't put it past Claire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she like, And she puts her number on the back. Um, like three numbers. I guess because she wants, she just loves to help people. That's the thing about Claire is she... I can't known, tell. Sorry, I interrupt you. Go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, in that definition, it says they're shallow. I wouldn't say she's shallow of character, but shallow in the sense that the movie doesn't tell us anything about her yes. or very, very little. Like we don't know what her story is. She doesn't really have a story. She's solely there to prop up or help Drew. Um, at one point she says she's a, a helper and her family were, were helpers or something like that. That's like the only indication we get of any backstory or anything. Well, she has a boyfriend that she talks about. Yeah, but we, that, there's never even like resolution. We never even no. learned if that really was a real, real person, person or, or not. not. Yeah. And, um, you don't know if she's just like making that up so yeah. that Drew doesn't feel like he, you know, he's yeah. the only one in her, her life or whatever. Yeah, that's kind of a weird, a weird story point, a weird character point. But, but so he calls her because he's bored and then they talk like through the night. And it's like in that phone call, we don't learn anything about her. It's just kind of like random bits of wisdom. and. Yeah, they're all very surface level conversation points we don't know her family where she's from like the things you yeah. would actually talk to somebody about it's like all her viewpoints on things but we don't know any anything deeper yes. than that you know that's what they say she almost feels like a 
Like she, I wouldn't have been surprised if at the end of the movie you learn she's not real, that she's not there. Oh, more of a, a figment of Drew's yeah. imagination to help like her. Like she sweeps in like on, on a glittery breeze. Like mm. she totally could have been and it wouldn't have been out of place no. from the rest of the movie. It's totally true. You wouldn't be like, wait, she's 100% real. We saw all of her family or yeah. we met anybody. No, we only meet Claire. We yeah. don't meet anybody who is connected to Claire. Right. And then they kind of fall in love sort of. Of course, I guess. Okay. She does meet... Um, the chuck chuck and cindy (laughs) (laughs) they help us realize that claire is real she does exist yeah i almost would have liked the movie more if she wasn't real that would have been interesting rewrite it casey i mean it wouldn't have been great but like i don't know it sounds like i hate this movie like we said i really enjoy a lot of parts of this movie there's a lot of parts that i still find funny and we've watched it a few times over the years um but she is she definitely does fit this trope of she doesn't really have many flaws She's kind of a fantasy. She's completely available and just there to help Drew. Right. She lives life to the fullest. Like she wants to meet up for sunrise instead of going to sleep. And and she can't leave him in distress. Basically her whole, like you were saying, her whole story revolves around him. And he only gets out of his depression and finds that verve for life because of her. She's quirky. She does the pretend snap picture Mm -hmm. things, which I think is the first place I saw that. Yeah, me too. And then I remember seeing like a thing Other, kind of yeah, later. Yeah. And then she makes that impossible scrapbook. Like, what the heck? I know. She's like, here's your road trip scrapbook. I made it last night. There's no way. It would take even Leslie Nope a week to put that together. And he has to listen to the mixtapes exactly because they're timed exactly. Yeah, Somehow. So how, I don't know how did she, did she that. time it exactly? And it's like a cross country road trip. It's not like just a couple hours. And this is... Going from Kentucky to Oregon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is a long trip. <laughs> and so... Yes, again, she's a bit of a fantasy. There's one point I want to point out, but one other thing that irked me about Claire is she's, she's talking about the dress that she's in because Drew compliments her and says, you look you know, you look great in that dress. And she says, I've been starving myself all week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just so she can look good for him, for who? I, oh, right. I think because she's supposed to meet her boyfriend, I think was the thing. Mm. So she's been starving herself all week to look it's good for message, him. a great message, right. And I'm like, yeah, let's starve ourselves to fit in a dress. Which also I was watching an interview of um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and um, what did I just blank on her name? Zoe Deschanel. Zoe Deschanel. And they were talking about her in that dress that at, when they're at the wedding and her like vintage dress. She said oh, it's yeah. vintage. Like, it, mm-hmm. you know, they actually got a vintage dress for her to wear. But she couldn't eat that day on set or else she wouldn't fit into the dress. Mm. I'm like, I hate this. Yeah. Like it just. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood does stupid stuff. Right? I'm like, quit promoting that you need to starve yourself to look good. Agreed. Anyways, that's my side platform. That's okay. It's an important one. I'm going to leave it in. Yeah. And it bugged me. But yeah, she spends all this time to live up to these ideals of like beauty standards and she perpetuates them by um you know starving herself by believing that's what she needs to do to look good and to impress a guy and that i think is my main problem with claire and with the manic pixie dream girl trope is that they are there for the guy yeah that's it yep that's their sole purpose yeah if you look at claire in the what's it called the the rubric kind of the where you test to see if it passes the the Bechdel, Bechdel test, test. Mm. yes you can kind of apply that and I think a lot of times I mean if it's a manic pixie dream girl it's 100% not going to pass 
the Bechdel tra- test. Yeah. And there are lots of other movies where they are a manic pixie, or they're not a manic pixie dream girl, but they still wouldn't pass the test. Right. Well, and we should say that the Bechdel test isn't like an end-all, be-all of no a, a positive portrayal. Oh, no. It's like, it should be the bare minimum. Yeah. Well, because even if two women are talking to each other and they're not talking about a man, they could still be talking in ways that is just... Like gender stereotyping yeah. or... Yes. Um, but yeah, so the Bechdel test would, in my mind, be the bare minimum to be passed. Yeah. To be an okay representation of women. Right. Which, if you don't know, I think we've mentioned before what the Bechdel test is, but it's very simple. There has to be two women who talk to each other and not about a man. Right. And that's it. And you'd think, well, that's not hard. Be look at Claire's character throughout the entire Elizabethtown. She talks to Cindy, but... But we don't hear what she says. It's yeah. like off to the side. She, Cindy later talks to Drew and says, I love this girl or something like that. Right. But yeah, they... Yeah, but we, we never actually get those two women conversing together mm-hmm. we see the mom and the sister um but they we never see them talking to each other we see them talking to drew yeah it's i mean in one way it's because this whole story revolves around drew or so, the dad or the dad because it's the dad's death um but y- you don't really get as much of their grieving process as you see drew's yeah because yeah even the mom i think there's an interesting story there of her realizing like she can she should be living her life how she wants to but we really only get the tail end of that we don't really get that much of the story because it's still focused so much on drew drew how much more interesting would the movie be if we saw susan sarandon's side of the story right. if we had no claire and spend all that time of the claire stuff with, with the mom dealing with it back home back in oregon and him yeah. dealing with it in kentucky exactly <laughs> that'd be a much better story yeah the mom and the sister because the sister we don't get like any no we get her talking to drew and saying you need to fix this <laughs> which um oh what's the actress's name i love her she's so good but she's way too often typecast and relegated to like these side side and well and she's often the kind of mean best friend best friend yeah. like the kind of snarky best friend <laughs> oh that's gonna bug me because i think she's really awesome she's also really just a cute uh, Cool. Yeah. Flame plight. She's also a really cool human being. Um, Judy Greer. <laughs> what were you saying? I would pick that exact moment. I'd look it up. Mic. Judy Greer. I was saying. I was trying to be like the Wizard of Oz. Silence. We forgot to talk about Paul Schneider is in this. You know, uh, Mark Brandenowitz. Yes. He's my favorite character in this. He is the best character. I will teach my son about Abraham Lincoln and. Who does he say? Oh, I don't know. Some band or a specific member of a band. Yeah. Like Metallica or something, you know, because they are of equal value in my home. This movie does have one of my favorite scenes when Drew brings that video, learning lessons with Rusty part eight or something like that, listening (laughs) with Rusty. And it's a real video, which I just learned. I thought it was made for the movie to look real, but it's like these VHS VHS tapes to help kids listen. And all he does is Rusty is this like macho construction guy. And he's like, will you mind your mom and dad? And then he just sits there staring at the screen. Will you mind your mom? <laughs> and the kids are watching. They're like, yes, yes, we will. And he's like, okay, let's blow up this house. And then he sets up dynamite and blows up this house. Right. It's fantastic. It's like such a random shot, but so great. <sighs> so yes, this movie does have, it's not like irredeemable. It is worth watching. It has a lot of fantastic, really funny lines. It has great actors in it. But just keep in mind, it does kind of exemplify the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, at least in, yeah, in in Claire, 
So. so now that we have a pretty clear idea of the MPG, no, MPDG, that's even harder to say. Yeah. Dream girl. Dream girl. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to 500 Days of Summer, Casey. I'm so excited because I love this movie. And Nodding. I should be saying yes or something. <laughs> I think this movie is like a meta commentary or a critique of the trope, which is very funny because I don't know that it fully succeeded in that because all the time, anytime you see lists of these are all the manic pixie dream girls in movies, Summer is often on this list and I don't yes. think she should be. Do you feel the same? I think her character is better than Claire's. Well, I shouldn't say better because I don't know. Pitting, uh, pitting, pitting yeah. people against each other. I don't want to pit them, but like her characters, I don't want to say. That's okay. We'll get into it. Yeah. We learn right off the bat that Tom, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is him. looking for like a fantasy one. I love him too. He, that's who you should have picked. Well, he's not. A, I was going to say you should have picked him in the all-important question, but he's not a fictional character. Um, right. And I don't want to spend Tom. my summer with Tom. <laughs> no. No thanks. We'll get into why not. <laughs> um, but I couldn't live up to Tom's ideals. <laughs> Exactly. I would learn to hate myself because of Tom. We learn right away that Tom is looking for a fantasy woman. Like he's based all of his hopes and dreams for a relationship on movies, and on romance. Books and movies. songs. Yeah. So we're, you know, right off the bat, we're given that clue that he isn't looking for someone real. It's no stretch to think that if, if he found a manic pixie dream girl in real life, so to speak, he would fall for that person. And then it's interesting too, because in the opening narration and throughout the movie, we get way more about Summer's character than we kind of ever did for Claire. And yeah, I, I hesitate to like pit them against each other. We are comparing and contrasting here. Yeah, we realize she has a life. She has emotions. She's not shallow. I like that you get that little bit of her story growing up. Yeah. Where, and it does tell you really funny things like when she worked at the ice cream shop, sales that summer went up 300%. Right. Because she just has this kind of mystical quality to her, kind of like Claire. Yeah. And I could see why someone would watch that and think, oh, this is another Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Because she's like this perfect thing. But it's not that. It's that everyone around her is shallow. She's not shallow. Everyone around her is looking at her like she is that thing. But the movie's trying to portray her as a much more well-rounded character than that. So yeah, like the Dream Girl is often described as shallow. And like I was saying, she's not shallow, the people around her. And I think this whole movie is more supposed to be a critique on men and how men shouldn't be doing things than it is anything about summer and so i agree i think it's important to look at um we'll talk about summer but i think it's really important to talk a lot about tom because by exploring his character we can see how the movie is kind of commenting on this manic pixie dream girl trope absolutely because tom is one of those guys that at first you're like oh he's so cute he's a hopeless romantic yeah. but he approaches summer and probably all the girls he's ever been with in his life yeah. like they should be an ideal or perfect or you know like the movies and movies are always going to be two-dimensional um instead of realistic and so he's got this problematic attitude toward the women yeah. towards summer especially right he does and then in the, those flashbacks all those other people are also kind of treating her like a movie character as well like it's very meta in that way that yeah, she is a movie character, but within the reality of the story, everyone's treating her like one when she's not necessarily that way. I also love this line. Maybe this is jumping a bit, but um, I think the Tom's sister, and I can't remember her name. I can't either. But she is like the voice of reason and I all truth her. throughout. And she has that line, just because someone likes the bizarro crap you do doesn't make her your soulmate. <laughs> 
and I love that that because often the manic pixie dream girl is like they're quirky and they like this these movies and music and oh they the male character also likes these things so then they're soulmates so I think this is just another way that the movie is commenting on that because it's true just because someone likes that doesn't necessarily make them your soulmate. Yes. And Tom is very quick to put Summer up on a pedestal to admire her um, more than to get to know her on a deep level. Here's the most important part about Summer being different from Claire or from, uh, I think what sets her apart from being a manic pixie dream girl is that she states clearly up front before they start a relationship before when they're just barely starting to get to know each other that she doesn't believe in love she doesn't have any desire to have a boyfriend and she continues to say things like this throughout the whole movie and yet tom keeps pushing her for something that she is not ready and does not want to give yeah absolutely and i think in most instances of the dream girl trope it those would have been reversed like it it's usually the the male character that's like a bit standoffish or doesn't need anything right now like drew like he's kind of annoyed right whereas in this in this movie it's flipped and um tom just sees it as he doesn't listen and then he just sees it as like a way of he's gonna convince her right he thinks he can change her yeah so in that way it is kind of a flip because that's generally something they tell women you know you can't change a man yeah Well, you can't change anybody. And if her mind is made up, then that's not your place to try and change it. I can see why, like I said, I can see why people would think Summer is a manic pixie dream girl. Like she's quirky. Yes. Um, She's everything he's dreamed of other than the she doesn't want a long term relationship thing. Other than that, she's everything he's been looking for. And she is interested in him um, in a casual sort of way. Mm -hmm. And um, which to be fair to Tom, personally, I would find that confusing, too. Like, yeah. to me, everything that they're doing, how, how are we going PG here? Mm, yeah. <laughs> to me, everything that they're doing is definitely relationship material. Mm-hmm. Whereas she's like, we're just friends. And he's like, these are not the things that friends do. Yeah. And so you're like, I, I'm on that level. I'm with Tom. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing is, is summer's not perfect. No. In this movie. But that's. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's, she's human. Yeah. And another way that it breaks from the, the typical trope is that Tom isn't, he doesn't start the movie depressed. Like he's looking for a relationship, but he's not. He is very stuck though. He still, because yes. part of a, a dream girl is that she will kind of awaken a new sense of life mm-hmm. in you. Right. Which for Tom doesn't, it kind of happens with Summer, but it doesn't really happen yes. until after he comes to terms with their breakup. Then he's finally like deciding to change himself for himself versus changing himself for her. Yeah, I think the timing of it is so important. She's also not super bubbly. She's she has bubbly moments, but like there are times when she's just kind of chill and like she has this yes. really wealth of emotions about her and which comes to play because at the beginning her or not her but uh, at the beginning Tom's friend at work is like, well, she's probably just an uppity woman who, you know, yeah. is too good for us, kind of just because she's a little more reserved mm-hmm. or um, not willing to throw herself at people, meaning that she's not super bubbly. Again, showing all the flaws of men men who think that just when someone's not interested in them. And this one's even like removed. He doesn't even have any idea. He hasn't even met her yet. Yes. But that there, that automatically makes them a bad word, you know? Yes. Also... This is Tom's story and it is focused on him, but we do get the sense that she has an inner life of her own. We learn that, you know, she's had 
Her parents were divorced. Like I said, she has lots of emotions. And then especially toward the end of the movie, after they break up, like she has a story going on. She's got her own things happening. We don't see a lot of it, yes, which is unfortunate, but um, but, but it's we happening. get pieces yeah. because we see that she goes to Millie's wedding and she goes, I love Millie. She's the sweetest. So she has other friends. She um, she has the party that Tom goes to that mm-hmm. it's, it's a great shot where there's like the reality and expectations yes. next to each other. And so it's two scenes in one. Before La La Land even did it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fantastic. And you see in that one that she has a whole friend group she's got a big party going on at her apartment like there's lots of people there so she definitely has a life outside of tom yeah and then of course she ends up getting married too um okay can we talk more about tom and how he is the worst yes (laughs) and (laughs) i love this movie um we talked about how he's expecting something from her that she's not willing to give right there tom right well we should say by we're talking about his flaws but their intentional flaws, not flaws in the sense that the movie, the writers didn't do a good job with him, but they did a really good job with him. Like he's a well-drawn character. He's interesting. Um, he just is not a good person within the, the film, if that makes sense. Right. Which is interesting calling him not a good person because I don't know. I'd say there are plenty of men out there like him. Yep. So I stand by what I said. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Tom is kind of the worst, but he's also a great example of, a lot of men and the expectations that they have. Yes. And he's not like, uh, he's not the worst human being ever, but he's... No. He doesn't kill anyone. If that's think, your qualifier. <laughs> right. But I think that's the... Okay. Can we get into this? Yes. The way I watch this movie now is very, very different from the way I watched it the first time I saw it. Is that the same for you? Like, did you like Tom? I think I liked him a little bit more than I did this time. Yeah. But I still didn't love him. I don't think I ever loved really? Tom. Mm-mm. So you watched it the right way. Yeah. But I, I mean. No, Tom has always bugged me. That's interesting. I think when I first saw it, and even the, probably the first few times, I didn't hate Tom's character. And I think maybe I saw myself a little bit in him. And he's got like this, he's got like this tunnel vision, but also these manic pixie dream girl goggles. Like we were saying, the way he sees Summer in this like fantasy light. He doesn't see the truth. He just kind of romanticizes their relationship. That sounds funny. Romanticizes the relationship. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but also, I think that I think I've grown as a person since I first saw this movie. So maybe I just I can see my imperfections better. I don't know. Maybe that sounds really braggy. I'm not no, trying to sound braggy. I'm just admitted that you once pictured yourself more like Tom. So. I'm just recognizing, yeah, that like I've grown in in that sense. But I also think it's because Joseph Gordon-Levitt is really just charming and he's really good in it. He is. He's so charismatic. And so I think it's easy to miss that he kind of sucks. In fact, so I have some some quotes. In 2012, Joseph Gordon-Levitt told Huffington Post about 500 Days of Summer. He said, um, or the, the, the article says, Gordon-Levitt made it clear that he really liked the film and took more issue with the audience's response than the storyline. And he says, a part of the movie that's less talked about is that once Zoe's character dumps the guy, he builds himself up without the crutch of a fantasy relationship. So that's just like we were saying, like it's not till after, um, but also he's touching on this idea that a lot of people maybe misread this film. And I think that's why um, Summer gets put on all the lists of Manic Pixie Dream Girls and people don't always like Summer's character um, because then later, uh, 2018, Twitter user Emperor Justin, he tweeted, still haven't forgiven Zoe Deschanel for what she did to Joseph Gordon-Levitt in 500 Days of Summer. And JGL, he responded, watch it again. It's mostly Tom's fault. He's projecting, he's not listening, he's selfish. 
Um, so I think like Joseph Gordon-Levitt got his character, but I think a lot of people missed the point. And I think I was even, um, I wouldn't say like, I haven't forgiven her, but like, I felt like I sided more with Tom if we're picking sides kind of a thing. And part of that is definitely because it is Tom's story. Yes. So they set him up because it's his perspective. You see him as the hero and Summer as the villain. And so that automatically makes you side with Tom a little bit more. And it's hard to, this would be a good story to talk about with unreliable narrators because Mm. you can't really trust Tom's perspective because you're seeing things through his lens. Right. And like when he's looking back on all of their memories, he's painting them with rose colored glasses. He's only seeing the good times uh, and feeling like she broke up with him out of nowhere, which isn't true. Uh, And in fact, it's his younger sister who tells him that. I don't don't think it was as perfect as you want to believe it was. One more quote real quick that that goes back um, to this idea of maybe people misreading the movie. In 2019, so last year, to mark 10 years since the film came out, Zoe Deschanel and Joseph Gordon-Levitt rewatched the movie with Entertainment Weekly. Yes, I have that Um, same article pulled up right here, Casey. (laughs) and, And Zoe said, I'm just so surprised when women will be like, I hated your character in that movie. I'm like, really? She said everything from the beginning. But I think it's also a testament to how adorable you, speaking to to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, are in this movie. Everyone's like, what? Why would you turn him down? He's so cute. <laughs> so I think it goes back to that. He's just so good. Can I show good. you, Casey? That's the exact quote I was going to say. Let me read this quote. Oh, I stole your thunder. <laughs> I'm sorry. You stole my quote. But I like later in that same article, um, speaking of the way that Tom views his character, is or the way that Tom views himself. So later in the film, when... Deschanel and and Gordon Levitt are talking about the scene that we were talking about, the reality and expectation scene. Yeah. And Gordon Levitt is talking about how it's like a common thing with love. Like you develop your ideals and your expectations and what you want and what you want the world to be. That's what he says. And so they're kind of talking about the idea that you are, um, you put yourself as the hero of your own story. Mm -hmm. Like nobody's going to make themselves the villain of their story. And uh, he even... A little bit later, he talks about the song that's playing right then, yeah. which talks about, you know, I'm the hero of this story. And he says, that's just what we were talking about. We make, we all make stories of our lives and we're the center of it and we're the hero. And so when you see that, I don't know where I was going with that, Casey. Well, I was just going to say, going with that, I had the same thought was that it also shows that Zoe um, Summer is also the hero of her own story. Yes. Um, that they're both heroes of their own story. She's she get- not there just to prop him up. Um, she's got a life of her own and that's that life is seen um, in the reality side of things you know on the expectation side of things that's the manic pixie dream girl version of summer the the rose-colored goggles version of summer that that tom is seeing but that's not the real real in quotes the real side absolutely going back to why tom sucks (laughs) (laughs) let's make a checklist uh and see not really sucks but i just he's not seeing things clearly i should say Yes. Um, when their relationship first... Because let's be fair, we all have moments where yes. we suck. Yeah. Especially absolutely. when it comes to love. The important thing is just realizing when you suck. And Tom doesn't realize that, but... And apologizing. Right. I don't think Tom ever apologizes to Summer. Nope. I don't think so. And I don't think that... We'll put that on the list of why he sucks. Right. <laughs> so another way that he doesn't... He's not seeing things clearly is when their relationship first kind of starts in a casual way. Um, he immediately thinks he's in a movie. There's the Hall & Oates song musical number, which I love that scene and it's so great and perfect <laughs> and funny, but it's more important than we probably give that scene credit in terms of that's Tom's inner life. 
he's seeing, he's like, oh, I'm in the movie now. I'm in this musical. Everything's perfect and peachy. Everything's going to work out from here. He's letting his imagination run away with him, which mm-hmm. we see throughout the movie. And he's overly romanticizing the, the situation. Another instance. Which is so interesting but, because to be fair and real, when you're at the beginning of any relationship, you read into everything. Yeah. Every little comment, detail, you know, means that you're going to be soulmates or not. Ten years later, I read into nothing, Valerie. <laughs> this is really true. No, I occasionally do. Yes. It like, but it's not the same. If one of us is like being extra quiet or something, we're kind of like, oh, did I do something? Like yeah. that kind of reading and yeah, still happens because obviously you're not in the other person's mind. So you're going to not always know what's going on right. in their mind. That's fair. That's life. But like if you, even, I was thinking when he's in the elevator and she's like, oh, I love the Smiths. Mm. Like it's such a throwaway little comment. Like I like the song that you're listening yeah. to. But he reads so much into it. It's like his sister said, just because she likes the same bizarro crap you do, um, is like he reads so much into that, that they are meant to be. Yeah. Well, and that's a, you can speak more to this than I can as a woman, but I think a lot of guys, and I've, I'm sure I've been guilty of this too, is that if a woman is nice, our mind too often jumps to, oh, they really like me, you know, when yes. they're just being nice. Like people can be nice to each other without being into them you know i spent most of high school not talking to boys because i did not want them to think i was interested in them right which feels disingenuous because i would have liked to be plenty of their friends yeah but i was also an awkward enough person that i'd rather have no connection with the men you know yeah the boys this is high school children the children of high school I would have rather had no connection with them than have to fend off unwanted advances. Yeah. And that's not fair. And we can do better, men, not you. I wasn't including you in the we. I was looking at you. <laughs> but Another instance, uh, Summer mentions, again, her desire for a non-serious relationship. And throughout, he's not listening. Or he'll even, like, spin her words a little bit. Like, um, when they're for, when they're on Ikea, this is the first time she says it like directly. She's like, I'm not really looking for anything serious. Is that okay? And he's like, um, we'll take it slow, which is not the same thing as I'm not looking for anything serious. No, true. I didn't think like, on that. In his mind, it's like, she doesn't want that now, but I'm going to change her mind but over time future. kind of a thing. Yeah. She might yes. in the future or I can be, I'm going to be different. He kind of thinks throughout, I'm going to be the different one that like makes her believe in love kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And so I just think that's very interesting that not only is he not listening, but he's twisting her words. Don't do that. Um, he also puts down other women to try to make Summer feel better. There's that scene where they're in the bar and he's like putting down that woman like, why does she dress like that and all this stuff? And I like the way you dress. Mm-hmm. He's judging her. He's like, it's all big earrings, big sunglasses. And she's like, well, if they like it, who cares? You know? Right. I love Summer for that line. Yeah. And she's like, if if it's comfortable to her, you know, she's like, some people like that. What's the big deal? And then in that same scene, he hits that guy who's being a jerk out of yes. some like sense of I'm going to be a chivalrous knight in shining armor and save right. her when and she protect her. need saving. She yeah. She's the hero of her story. She doesn't need to be saved. But exactly. Tom can't see that. I just think that Summer gives Tom plenty of chances to be honest with her by saying, like, I'm not looking for a serious relationship. And he never says, I am looking for a serious relationship. If he was doing the right thing, he would just break up with her because they're in different places. But instead, he's trying to force it because he thinks it's this fantasy. He thinks she is a manic pixie dream girl, but she's not. Yes, I have that a very similar thought written down where, come on, Tom, like you need to like listen to your heart 
And instead of trying to force this relationship, um, uh, he needs to accept that they are in different places and this is not going to work out. He's so unwilling to see the truth of their relationship that, like you said, he's been building up in his mind. Everything's going to be great. He's going to make her into who he is picturing her as instead of actually listening to her and the words that she, the words that are coming out of her mouth. That's it. All he has to do is listen and accept the things that she is saying. And then they could have broken up much sooner and his heart wouldn't have been quite so shattered. Yes, exactly. Can we talk about that final scene that they have together on the hill? We need to. Valerie, in your mind, is that scene real? Yes. In the commentary, which I watched, I remember watching it years ago, um, both Mark Webb and Joseph Gordon-Levitt said that in their mind, the way they consider that scene, she's not really there, that he's imagining her. Which, which would fit into, you know, he, he imagines those things, he daydreams and he, but I think that, like, I never read it that way. I never read the scene that way until they said it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I was thinking about it this time that, you know, cause they said it's like a daydream to give himself some closure, mm-hmm. but that most relationships don't really have that closure. And so that he's imagining it to give it to himself. I agree that the scene is all about his closure. And I think it's really interesting to view it from the idea that, he is imagining it, but I don't think he is because he is usually so hyper aware of where Summer is and what she's doing. Um, like when he's on the train after they break up and he walks past her and so like he sees the back of his head, like the back side of her head and immediately knows it's her because he's so aware of her. But he had to walk past her in the park. Like she says something right there about, you know, I thought that was you. Like she sees him first and kind of approaches him, which is, I think, different from their normal. Okay, I disagree because this is fun. (laughs) I disagree because at this point of the movie, he's already made his great big self growth. Like he's in a different place now than he was before. And also he's in a place that would remind, like he's just sitting on his favorite bench. So of of course he would be thinking about her. But that's just it. I don't think she would approach him in his mind because he's so used to being the one engaging her and approaching her. There's one very specific reason why that I think he would be daydreaming this. Mm-hmm. But it has to do with the very end of the movie. So he meets Autumn, right? The movie implies that they enter a relationship at the end, right? Is that relationship uh, in your mind? Because I'm still grappling with this. Is it a good one or a bad one? Like he and Autumn? Yes. Like, has he learned? I think he's self-actualized enough that yeah. I'm hopeful he will do better in this next rela- next relationship. Will it be, you know, his yeah. true love, marriage, forever kind of relationship? I don't know. But I think he'll at least do better with that relationship than he did with Summer. I don't. And here's why. <laughs> because I think that, first of all, the movie starts the countdown over. It's the first day of autumn, which in my mind is like a oh. back to square one thing interesting not a not a this is better this it's a he's moved completely back to the same spot he was in in terms of relationships yeah like he's a better place career-wise but relationships i think the movie's telling us that it's back to square one also if that scene with him and summer is a daydream she specifically tells him in that scene you were right about true love and destiny which he's going to take to mean like i was right to be looking for this perfect manic pixie dream girl woman and so i'm gonna keep doing that because summer thinks i was right like he's he's using that daydream to tell him that to continue to tell him that he was right the whole time that's why he's not making 
I don't think he's grown as much as we might think. That's really interesting. I could definitely see that, especially with the counting part. But I'm still hopeful that it's just day one of autumn. Mm -hmm. And who's to say that those numbers don't count up into the millions, Casey? True. But also the song playing there, if we're going to talk about lyrics, it says, she's got you high and you don't even know yet. It's the same thing with the hollow notes. He's he's going to feel that high at the beginning of the relationship. And then he's going to, I think it's going to fall back into the same habits of he's looking for this perfect thing. And he hasn't grown. He never said sorry, like we said. It's true. He, he never, never realized that he was in the wrong. He was kind of still, I don't know. He never He never got that closure of self, of finding out that, wait, I was wrong. I didn't listen. I was selfish. He told me the whole time. It's true. He does jump immediately to, um, well, love doesn't exist. You were right. It's a bunch of BS. Yeah. Um, versus saying, well, love didn't work out between you and me because I had these issues that didn't allow it, to, you know, mm-hmm. because I was expecting too much. Um, you know, I didn't accept my faults in the relationship. Yeah. And I also think his obsession with, with, um, movie characters comes into play there too like most romances end happily and if they don't he can't even see it like the whole thing with the graduate is that is that summer can see that this isn't going to end well for these two characters whereas for him he doesn't see that at all like the movie starts by telling us you know he misread the ending of the graduate because he's he he can't fathom a love story having a sad ending so he fabricates a happy one for him in summer not happy love ending but at least like something platonic and that um, she taught him some great lesson which was you were right the whole time which is a kind of a crappy lesson and uh, (laughs) just exactly what he would want to hear and then that you know for him the movie ends in a happy note of oh i've met i met the right one now this is the destiny because because it's a movie well casey now (laughs) you've broken my heart because i wanted more hope for tom and his future relationship i I did too like uh, this brings me no pleasure like (laughs) this is very different from the way i've ever watched this movie before and when i had first heard them on that commentary say this is a daydream i didn't really think much about it and how that would affect what came after it but by looking through it looking at this movie through the lens of being a commentary on um female characters in movies and how you know there is this trope and this movie is trying to comment on that trope I think that it leads us down different ways of maybe interpreting the ending. In fact, it's almost like there's four endings. It's like Inception times two, you know, because mm-hmm. you've got, do you think that that scene with him in summer is real or fake? Mm-hmm. And do you think that his relationship with Autumn is going to be better and that he's a better person or is it back to square one and he's just starting over on his selfishness and not listening? It's up to you. <laughs> I just, oh, that makes me so sad. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but not because, really because it kind of makes me excited. <laughs> right. No, I think like that would be, That's what I mean. so it would be, it's incredibly interesting. I really agree. And I think there are so many things that point in that direction. My one hope is that because he has been improving himself uh, without Summer there, that he maybe has reached a point where at least he'll do a little better yeah. with the next one. Like he's not stuck in the exact same ruts he's always been in. He's trying harder and, and working a little harder at himself than he has in a really long time where he's just kind of let things go like with his career and, and everything. And so I am hopeful that if maybe not with autumn, then maybe the next one, okay, or maybe but, he's perpetually the worst, but maybe the audience misreading this movie is like the ultimate irony in that, Tom misread the ending of The Graduate 
we've all misread the ending of 500 Days of Summer Ooh. because we want it to be a happy, happy ending, ending. Because we expect happy endings. But the movie itself tells us this is not a love story. And so maybe we've just all misread it and that. So maybe it's not a love point. story even in the next. Even with Autumn. Even with Autumn. So interesting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You've given me a lot to think about here, Casey. But that's why I love this movie. And I love it more than before. Right. Understanding that makes a a big difference in how you watch it. I think I used to love it just because it's quirky and it's got good music and it's told in a non-linear way. The soundtrack on this movie is like one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. I mean, it's got Sweet Disposition by Temper Trap, which is because of this movie became one of my favorite songs ever. Mm -hmm. Carla Bruni. I discovered her music because of this movie. Did you know that the director and, you know, the whoever helped with the music, music supervisor, whatever, they picked songs from artists, almost all of them, who have broken up. Oh, Hall interesting. Notes, Simon and Garfunkel. Um, there's some others. So not all of them, but most of them are duos I that have broken Carla up. I think Carla Bruni, well, she wasn't a duo, but yeah, you're talking about band breaks up, breakups? Because mm-hmm. she was very famously uh, married to the, the French um, prime minister, and then I'm pretty sure they broke up, but... Well, and Temper Trap, they didn't, I mean, they were a new band at the time, but I don't think they've had music for a long time. So have they broken up? <laughs> well, to be fair, you could put any band in a movie and be like, well, they'll probably break up eventually. <laughs> no, I'm saying this movie cursed them. <laughs> no. The internet says Temper Trap's still active, but anyways, I want to know what other people think about the ending. Do you have anything else to say about 500 Days of Summer? Sorry, I was down a hole. I was looking at Carla Bruni really quick because I wanted to see. And she's not. She's still married to the previous. He was. Sarkozy? Yeah. Mm. The previous French president. Oh, okay. Not prime minister. That's a British thing. President. (laughs) So, yeah. Have we painted a good enough picture that. That Tom's the worst? That this movie is about, you know, about people and especially men who can't or won't see their imperfections as they pertain to relationships. And then they always blame the other person or they. Um, look at their relationship through those, you know, through that tunnel vision. Here's my real question about 500 Days of Summer is it's kind of, sort of autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Um, the writer might have been the director too. No, Mark Webb didn't write it and I can't remember okay. the writer. Yeah. So, but the writer um, kind of wrote it about his own personal experience mm-hmm. or a, you know, painful breakup for him. So you'd have to talk to him as well. Like... Can he see it? Can he see it? Yeah. Does he recognize that he was a flawed part of this relationship as well? Or does he blame it all I, on the female? I can't remember for sure. And so take this with a complete grain of salt. But I feel like in one of the articles I read, he had mentioned how in the act of writing it, he had realized that it wasn't all her fault kind of a thing. And that his view of the relationship changed by the end of writing the film. I don't remember any more details than that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it had said at one point. So... But if the writer figures that out, then don't you think that Tom has figured it out by the end? I'm of the opinion that no, because I think that's the whole point of us as the audience, that that's the great irony of it, that we've all misread it because we were looking for a hopeful ending and that we were all duped, that the movie is perfect in that way, (laughs) that it's like perfectly meta and it's awesome. (laughs) It's a wonderful yet depressing reading of the ending of that movie. I wanted to mention... I wanted to mention Nathan Rabin's apology in Salon. Yes. So this came out seven years after his original 
coinage of the phrase manic pixie dream girl mm-hmm. not the trope it's yes. been around for ever time. um females even back in like shakespeare plays are just there to promote some kind of growth in the male character so this trope has been around forever but he coined the phrase manic pixie dream girl in 2007 and then in 2014 he had an article that came out in the salon um just salon Salon.com, yeah. Salon.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about how he had no idea like the effect that it would have. And that to him, what was most sad about it and why he wishes he had never coined it is because he felt like after he coined it, it became ever more prolific. Like not just the name, but the idea. Like mm-hmm. you were seeing more of this trope being played out when really he wanted to see less of the trope played out. He wanted to coin a phrase that would just kind of help him understand this this idea, but that people took the definition too far and also didn't it's just reductive because not every character in every movie is going to be the same even if they fit some of these um so you know so-called check boxes and and also that um people use it incorrectly like we've said i don't i don't think people use it correctly when they include summer on lists of of this trope but also that these lists aren't really helping like we mentioned it's like pitting characters against each other and that doesn't really do anything for anybody um and then in in 2012 so this would have been a couple years before the apology but slate had an article by virginia paisley she says it's obviously a useful phrase but increasingly overextended these days mpdg has come to mean every female role that's comedic or even the smallest bit quirky so this idea that anytime there's a quirky female character people automatically slap the label and sort of reduce the female character that might be a really great character and then in um the mary sue had an article reclaiming the manic pixie dream girl the writer said even under the premise that a character has absolutely no inner life why can't we identify with her anyway sometimes we like art not because it's deep but because it's goofy and fun who's to say what others can and can't resonate with especially those who are often shortchanged by the media landscape as the whole manic pixie dream girl fiasco has proved this sort of policing often ends up hurting those who it was meant to help hopefully the term can um, can be reclaimed by those of us who fit the zany, exciting bill to mean anyone who's not a cis man with an inner life so rich that they have the potential to transform the lives of everyone they meet for the better, with healthy boundaries in place, of course. Um, but I love that that idea that, um, well, I don't love it, but it's um, important to note that often when we call out these tropes, it ends up hurting more than it helps. Right, because it's one thing to actually, like, I call it, to recognize a character who doesn't have a well-rounded, to, you know, a female character mm. that isn't well-rounded. And like, just there to prop up a male this character. Ju- that, exactly. It's just there to prop up a male character. And that is different from a female character who's a little bit quirky. Yeah. But you also see her struggles. You also see her friendships. You also see so many sides to her. Like, that's a different story. Um, yeah, so when we use it inappropriately uh, or mislabeling, these other characters just because they have bangs and play the ukulele or whatever she's not automatically a dream girl yeah and we'll see a reduction in any female characters because people are you know too afraid that it's gonna fit that trope you know and so they just leave the female character out altogether we don't want that and also that if you i'm sure there have been times where you know if you like a character and then someone will say well you know you can't like that character because it's a manic pixie dream girl which that's uh, that's not okay either. You know, if you yes. if you resonate with a character, even if you resonate with Claire, that's totally valid and okay. And right. there's nothing wrong with that. So Claire's sweet. She always helps everybody around her. Yeah, I wish I had her scrapbooking skills. Exactly. <laughs> there's still 
wonderful characteristics um, to Claire. We just wish that we saw more of her life. Yeah. And again, it's a story centered around Drew, or it's a story centered around Tom, and you're never going to get as well-rounded of a character if the sole focus is on the male character. You're not going to get as as well-rounded of of a female character. One of the articles that I really liked um, was by Lori Penny in The New Statesman, and she was talking about her experience as being a quirky woman herself and kind of feeling like she was labeled as a manic pixie dream girl. Um, And so I really like this quote from her where she said that men grow up expecting to be the hero of their own story. Women grow up expecting to be the supporting actress in somebody else's. And I powerful think that just comes down to the whole truth of where a dream girl, where that idea comes from. Um, Like Raven said that it is from the, as they say, the, the fevered minds of, you know, soulful director writers like it's just this idea that they come up with it's not a well-rounded character um but it feeds from it's kind of a a circle because it their idea feeds into the media and then girls look at this and think well to be accepted in life to be my full purpose is to then help men to reach their full potential um so it can be kind of a, a harmful circle in that way if they, if you know, we as females start to view ourselves that way, and I think in our culture, we were talking about this just the other day. It's really hard not to. Um, as a female, we're taught from a very young age that like the way we dress affects a male, or these other things like we are in some way in control of you, or mm. or are there to prop you up in some way, or help you succeed um, in our like. You know, you think about like throughout history where women are being told to to stay home and work and support the family, you know, to support the husband as he goes to, you know, in, on in his career and other things. And um, it's just this idea that so much of the systemic patriarchy is that females role is to support a male role. Um, and so that's where I find that the manic pixie dream girl becomes most problematic is that it then is saying this is when we view media uh, it shows us that this is what we should be Mm. kind of an idea so i think as long as we see ourselves more like summer who is vocalizing i these are what i do and do not want um and she's clear about that and as long as we're realizing that we have our own stories beyond uh, the males in our life and she can also be quirky and funny and and weird and full of all the emotions and and still be well-rounded and she's not a manic pixie dream girl and so if you as our listener feel hey i'm kind of a manic pixie dream girl well you have an inner life and you know you're not shallow exactly you're a well-rounded human unlike some of these characters that we get on the screen all right val let's close out the episode do you have any media recommendations well i mentioned appa earlier for you because i've been re-watching avatar the last airbender since it came to disney uh, not disney plus Everything else is on Disney Plus <laughs> since it came to uh, Netflix because it's a Nickelodeon show. Um, and it is so good. I still love it. Speaking of wonderful female, well-rounded characters, I love Katara. She's awesome. It's a great show. My recommendation is I talk about Buster Keaton a lot. And you can find pretty much any Buster Keaton on YouTube. Just search for it. It's super easy to find because it's all silent films and people will just put it up. But if you don't have time for you know, an hour plus to watch the general, I highly recommend the short one week. We watched that a week or two ago with the kids and they loved it and I loved it. And um, I think you liked it, Val. 
That's the one with the house. Yes, that one was really funny. <laughs> I was trying to remember which one it was. Yeah, one week, Buster Keaton. It's really good. Oh, we wanted to announce, so we've got a um, kind of a big change, I guess. Uh, if if you've a been sort of kind of change. Yeah. Um, if you've been following along and, and listening to Hello from Elsewhere, you've noticed we've done um, interview episodes every month, and we've been um, we kind of set that as a consistent. We want to do this every month, and we're going to change that to. Um, just when we want to because i don't know the interviews give me a lot of anxiety we've had really good experiences with the interviews we love um, our interviews and i'm very proud of them and i love you know i love those interviews that we've had it we gets just, a little tricky to schedule we just don't want to box ourselves in so it's not like we're saying no interviews ever again we're just gonna they're gonna be bonus sort of things if we ever do them so not bonus content not like bonus in that beeps, you have yeah. to uh subscribe you know be a patron to get them but just that they will happen sometimes but not always yes um so that means we'll be doing in a four-week month we'll have two regular episodes and the good news is we're going to two bonus episodes if you are a swashbuckler of elsewhere you'll get two bonus episodes a month Um, and you may have noticed our last few episodes we've been trying to make a little bit longer because that was sort of a, a listener request we've had from from multiple angles for slightly longer episodes so um even without the the interview episodes we'll have those regular episodes will be longer than they may have been in the past so win-win i think for everybody absolutely and the swashbuckler tier of patreon is only seven dollars a month yep and you get two extra episodes each month they're a little less structured sometimes we play fun games um we're about to record one next to tease it here is um we have a list of actors that we got from our patrons in discord and we're going to uh, talk about all these actors and what our favorite role each of them has ever played i'm really excited about that one speaking of patreon we wanted to shout out and say thanks to our newest patrons Haley and emily Woohoo! yes welcome and if you love our podcast we'd love for you to become a patron or to support us by rating and reviewing us on apple podcast or itunes that helps other people see us if we get good reviews yes it helps so much and uh you can follow us on instagram and twitter at elsewhere underscore pod our cover art is by vaishan brandon you can find his graphics on instagram at graphite.vmb he's awesome so please check him out hello from elsewhere is a proud member of wbne you can visit wbne.org for more fabulous podcasts like this one Howdy, Yokes. I'm Tyler Carlin. And I'm Ethan Hill, And we host Bacon and Eggs, a movie lover's podcast. It's the most roll-your-eyes-I've-seen-it-before concept for a show. But with new hosts, I promise. Each week, we sit down together and watch a beloved movie. We start by looking at some critical and concrete points and let our conversation flow from there. We've covered all sorts of movies, from Jaws to Little Women. From the Lego Movie to the Lego Movie 2. From Marvel to Star Wars. From Back to the Future to Back to the Future Part 2. And tangents from our frustrations with fast food. To discussing our fear of the Mighty Loon. So if you want a podcast that makes you laugh, download Bacon and Eggs, a movie lover's podcast. With new episodes available every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts, and now on WBNE.org. Ghostbusters 2! I, I, my, my hope and dream was that you would say that. Well, this greeting card company, I found a card over here that says, I love us, and I thought it was really cute, so I grabbed it for us. It is cute, because I do love us. Happy beeps. Happy beeps.